Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. I am wondering if there's anything fishy about what we're going to be talking about today. I really had to fish around for ideas for today's episode. Oh, God. You know French, too. Actually, I don't know French. The Poisson distribution? Uh Uh-huh. All right. The only reason that I know of that term is... uh, uh, Song from the Little Mermaid? Of course. Yes. Is that how you know it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah, so this is a, a probability distribution that's all about fish. Uh, no, it's not. Um, but the Poisson distribution is actually a thing that if you're into statistics or statistic-related fields, you should know about. Okay. Was, uh, was this person... This was a person? Yes. Someone, someone Poisson. I believe that was... that's probably his name i'm assuming it's someone someone yeah Yeah. okay (laughs) someone french i assume um i don't have i don't happen to have this in my notes (laughs) sorry okay this is just the question i have if if your last name is poisson does that is that like your last name is fish yeah or or is it like spelled slightly differently or something no it's the same spelling all right mr fish all right so let's talk about the poisson distribution um so this is i don't know maybe a little bit dry we'll kind of we'll, we'll try to like punch it up with some fun use cases here dry but fish isn't good <sighs> this is gonna be a long 20 it's minutes it's gonna be it's, good. <laughs> it's just gonna be running in my head all the time <laughs> just looking for ways to connect it to fish the point of this episode is uh the poisson distribution is actually really handy to know for certain types of modeling that you might want to do it's one of the more kind of applicable mental models that you can have for uh, certain types of data distributions. So when do you want to use this? So this is a probability distribution that is best for as a the model for the number of times that an event occurs in an interval of time or space. So anytime you want to make some kind of estimate about the distribution of events occurring in time or space, you should be thinking about the Poisson distribution. So I guess I'm not quite following a, a distribution like a normal distribution or something like that, but is it just like a different shape that, yeah. that you would see? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so I can imagine a normal distribution in my head. It's, it's commonly referred to as a bell curve. It's just this kind of like... Uh, I don't know if you if you were to make a if you were to draw a hat, but you were to draw like a smooth curvy line, it would kind of curve uh, upward and then taper off at the top and curve back downward and then taper off at the end to make kind of the rim of the hat. Yeah. So a good example of something that might be normally distributed in real life is, I don't know, probably the heights of people for the most part, Um, you know, the average, let's say the average height of women is something like five foot six inches, maybe. And then there's, uh, you know, roughly equal numbers of women who are, you know, five foot five or five foot seven. There's also women who are five foot four and five foot eight, but smaller numbers of them. And then you start to get out into the tails of the distribution. You get people who are, you know, much shorter or much taller I don't know if height is literally exactly a normal distribution, but that's that's an example of the kind, kind of thing of we're talking about. Feels normal distributing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it's not symmetrical, but yeah. 
Okay, so I've got this image then in my head of what a normal distribution looks like. What does a Poisson distribution look like? I really want to say a fish. I, I just, I guess I just it does not it. look like a fish. It does not look like a fish. Okay. So it depends a little bit on the parameters of the distribution. By that, I mean, um, I said that this is the distribution that you want when you're modeling the um, events that happen in time or space. And right. if that event is very rare or relatively rare, then the Poisson distribution has a certain shape. And if it's very common, then it will have a different shape. So that's what I mean by it depends on the parameters. It's the same functional oh. form, but it depends on the numbers a little bit. So let me give an example here that will help maybe build a little bit of intuition for when you might use this. So do you watch soccer? Uh, uh, the one with the hands or with the feet? With the feet. So okay, actually... If I asked you if you've watched football, that would make sense. But now I think you're just... Oh, no, I'm, I swear, I'm not trolling you. That is, I mean, the answer was going to be no, no matter what you said. But um, yeah, I, I guess I just learned something. Okay. Well, you know how soccer soccer is a game <laughs> when there's two teams and they so try stupid. to kick a ball into the nets. And <laughs> right. uh, so it's kind of similar to hockey or something like this. Um, my point is that it's it's the one that I mean where there's usually like on average a, a few goals per game. Right. And that's oh, right. Okay. So score. very rare. The events are very rare over the course of like a, a game or really any meaningful uh, measure of time. Yeah, they're comparatively rare. And so one of the things that might be uh, or that is Poisson distributed is what's the number of goals in a World Cup match or distributed over all the World Cup matches. Mm -hmm. And so what you can do to this is distributed as a Poisson distribution, where the event is a goal. And in in particular, there are a few features of this that make it a good problem that, that um, are characteristic of the times when you would want to use a Poisson distribution. So the first thing is that the number of times that something occurs has to be an integer. So we can't say something like there's 2.1 goals that occurred mm -hmm. in this game. It's either two or three. So number one has to be integer number of events. Number two, the events should be independent. So the fact that a goal was just scored should not make it any more or less likely that another right. goal is scored in any particular interval of time. And you can make an argument for something like soccer, Strikes whether that's really the case. Yeah, but yeah. that's usually, it's close enough to being the case that, uh, that this applies here and this makes it a good example. Number three, that the rate is constant of the events happening. So measured over long enough time periods, you would see more or less uh, steady rates, but you just don't know when uh, the events are going to happen. Mm, so okay. another good example is like bus, bus arrivals at a bus stop. You know, on average that uh, buses are supposed to arrive at a constant rate, but exactly when any one bus arrives, who knows? And sometimes they can get bunched up. And so and I guess being bunched up would make it not a good Poisson distribution. But if they're not actually like influencing each other in the traffic patterns, then they would be pretty independent. Yeah. If you assume that they're not doing anything to try to either bunch them up or space them out, then buses are a good example for Poisson distributions as well. Um, and then the last 
assumption is that you cannot have two events at literally the same time. You can have them happen very quickly, one after the other, but each one, mm. you can only have one event at a time. So you can't have okay. literally two buses at the same stop at the same time. You can't have literally two goals at the same time. So those are so our, our, those are the four assumptions of the Poisson distribution, and those are all held by the or you know held close enough by the World Cup example here. So what you could do is you go back, you look at all the World Cup matches, you measure on average how many goals occur in uh, a match. And so sometimes you'll see that the score, let's say that there can't be any ties, that in the case of a tie, they'll play to a tie break. So in some cases, there can be scores like one to nothing, or two to one. And those are relatively common. Uh, There's about two and a half goals per game on average, if you were to look over the entire distribution. So most of the time, there's between two and three goals uh, on average that are that are being, well, I don't know if that's, that's not exactly the same thing. But it's not a lot of goals. But it's not a lot of goals, yeah. But then you sometimes have stuff like, uh, do you remember the World Cup final from 2014, Brazil and Germany? Or Argentina and Germany. I forget what happened, but it was seven to one. <laughs> seven to one. Yeah, it was real wow. bad. Um, and uh, so anyway, that is that's also totally possible, right? Doesn't happen but, as yeah, often. Very irregular, but possible. Possible, yeah. And you could imagine that even under even more extraordinary circumstances, you know, there's kind of no theoretical upper limit to how many yeah. goals you could have in a soccer game, but you know, in practice, it, it doesn't get very high. So if you imagine if you were to look at all the goal counts over all the games, that distribution would look like it had uh, fairly high numbers of games that had lower scores. And then it's tapering off as it gets higher. Um, and so that is what the Poisson distribution would be shaped like at that lower, that like more infrequent event rate. And then if you were to imagine something like, let's imagine you were to uh, make a change to the game of soccer where there's no goalies. <laughs> I don't know. Let's make a, a minor change. So still all the same assumptions apply, but now it's just a lot easier to score goals. And so usually, you know, it's just an offensive shootout. And so in general, many more goals. And so it's still possible that you could have the lower numbers of goals, but now those 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 games are going to be much rarer. You might have a new average that's like 10 goals a game or 20 goals a game. And then uh, the distribution is going to start to look a little bit more actually kind of like a kind of like a normal distribution. Once you get up to high enough numbers for that for that parameter of the of the Poisson distribution. So it changes shape as you change around that, um, that frequency parameter. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So that is the Poisson distribution. And like I said, it's just a really, really handy thing to know about because it's it's pretty often that there are things that happen in real life that are Poisson distributed. And you can use this as a, uh, as a really handy way of estimating what the likelihood is then of certain numbers of events happening. It's a fairly simple uh, distribution. I'll just give the functional form of it real quick because um, I think it's interesting. Once you know what that mean rate is. So let's take the World Cup example, two and a half goals on average. 
And then the question that you might ask is, what's the probability under the Poisson assumption that you have, what's the probability that you get eight goals in a match? So like that Brazil-Germany game that happened a few years ago. What's the probability just from sort of the random statistics of soccer that that, something like that would happen? Well, so we say on average, there's two and a half. Eight is obviously an outlier, but how rare of an outlier is it? So two and a half is this parameter called lambda. And number of goals that you would have in this case is the second parameter called K. And so the, the formula is lambda raised to the power of K, E raised to the power of negative K, all over K factorial. And I don't tell you this because I expect anyone to remember it or have an intuition oh, just, for this necessarily. I just intuitively get it now. <laughs> my, but my whole no, point is say. that there's just two things you need to know, and then there's three very simple calculations <laughs> that you have to know, like yeah. one power, one exponential, and one factorial, and you're done. And so it's very, it's a very yeah. you know simple thing to actually have to deal with. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, when when you said that, I, my first reaction was, "God, math is weird." Why? Well, I I don't know. Like I guess, and this is just probably showing my my noob stripes as a mathematician because I'm not one. Um, but it just feels like those things don't relate to each other, like uh, a factorial exponentiation, and uh, what was the the third one? Oh, a uh, like a power calculation. A power, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I just it, I would be hard pressed to think of a way to put them into a formula together in a way that would make sense. But, you know, here we are. And um, this and I, is, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I just looked up a Poisson calculator on the internet real quick. Um, so the, assuming that all of these numbers are correct for the World Cup case, uh, so two and a half game, or two and a half goals per game on average, what's the probability of something, we'll say greater than or equal to eight. So this is eight and above. This includes nine and 10 and 11. Uh, the probability, just from Poisson statistics, that you were to see something eight or larger is about four tenths of 1%. So that actually is quite rare. Yeah, you would not expect if soccer matches do have that Poisson distribution, that that would happen very often. But at the same time, if you were to watch a thousand World Cup soccer games, you'd see it four times. You'd expect to see it four times. Yeah. So it's not impossible. And this is this is why Poisson statistics are kind of helpful is because even though there's things that seem like they would be really rare and they are really rare, um, just because of the random fluctuations in uh events that are distributed like this in time and space, they still do happen. And so the Poisson distribution helps you know if something like this is a real anomaly, if something weird is going on, or if there's still a decent chance that it could be happening just by just by chance. And so I wanted to wrap up the mathy part of the episode and just give you an example of where this has been used in real life that I think is interesting. Okay, cool. Cool. So I have two examples. One of them is where there was nothing going on and where there was something going on and how they use the Poisson distribution to figure it out. Which one do you want first? Uh, I would like to hear about the something. Okay, the something. So my favorite example of when they use the Poisson distribution to figure out that something was going on 
was in 1987. And uh-huh. in 1987, there was a supernova that happened very far away. So a supernova is an exploding star that astronomers and astrophysicists and all these sorts of people are really interested in. And the thing about this supernova uh, is that, and supernovas in general, is that what they kind of look like is a flash of light as the star is exploding. But because of the nuclear reactions that are happening inside of the star when that happens, it doesn't just give off particles of light, it also gives off these particles called neutrinos. And so there's a bunch of neutrinos that are traveling at basically the speed of light. And then because of certain details, I think sometimes the neutrinos will actually get there a little bit earlier than the light does. So the point is that when there's a supernova, sometimes the thing that you see first is a bunch of neutrinos rather than and then later, the light shows up. Yeah, I actually know why that is. Oh, do tell. Yeah, how about this? I've got something uh, physics-wise to, to contribute. Um, it's because neutrinos, uh, neutrinos pass through matter most of the time, which makes them, in, in this situation, the neutrinos from the, from the center of the star will actually pass through the star without hitting any of the neutrons or any other particles because the neutrinos themselves are so small and so they will escape the um the surface of the star before the shock wave of all of the star's matter uh gets to the the outside and it actually explodes and so you get this burst of neutrinos that travel through uh through space just a little bit ahead of the light that we would want to observe uh, and that also makes them really difficult to detect right because uh, since they pass through most matter without interacting with it, you need a lot of matter to get just a couple of interactions. And so what is it? Maybe maybe you know this off the top of your head, but I think neutrino detectors are uh, are comprised of like humongous pools of like chlorine or something like that. And then a neutrino hits. Is, is that right? Do you know? Yeah, they have. Uh, well, I mean, they have different kinds of stuff inside of them, but it's chlorine, it's water, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big volumes and of mass. And if a neutrino interacts with one of those particles, then they can detect it. Correct. Correct. And so that actually, you set me up really nicely for finishing this story here, because like you said, neutrinos are quite rare. And so we do, um, particle physicists do see them in their neutrino detectors, but uh, they don't happen very often. Um, the expected rate right. of arrival of neutrinos, it's a Poisson uh, distributed process. Oh, I think I see where you're going. Uh-huh. And this has been, you know, they had had a neutrino detector or a bunch of neutrino detectors that had taken a bunch of data where they just are kind of sitting there idle and they're um, looking up and every once in a while they see a neutrino and they get a, a pretty good measurement of how you know, over very long time scales, what's the rate of arrival of neutrinos? And they say on average, we see maybe about 0.8 neutrinos every 10 seconds. Uh, So we'll see eh, five neutrinos a minute or something like that. And, you know, it's pretty rare for you to see much, anything this much um, burstier than that. So they, they understood that distribution, you know, quite well mm. for the, for the smaller numbers of neutrinos. But then this sounds, this sounds like just to connect this, it sounds like soccer scoring. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it kind of is. Um, except they, uh, you know, had a very, yeah, no, it, well, I mean, it's all some 
it's on st- statistics. That's the whole point here, right? So right, yeah. in 1987, February 23rd, one of these neutrino detectors, well, maybe not just one of them, I don't know, um, but one of them goes just kind of nuts in a 10-second period where they would normally expect to see about 0.75 or 0.8 neutrinos. They see nine events. Nine neutrinos. That's not a lot of neutrinos. It's not a lot of neutrinos, but it's a lot more than 0.77 neutrinos. I see. So if I was looking at the at the counters, I might say, whoa, that was kind of weird, but you know, we're going to see that every once in a while. But comparing, connecting it to a Poisson distribution, that would be highly, highly unlikely if you do that calculation. Right. So you would put all the numbers into your Poisson distribution. Mm. You would say, just based on the random statistical fluctuations, how often would I see nine or more when I'm expecting to see 0.77? Do the calculation, which like we said, is not that complicated, which is nice. And they come up with uh, a number that tells them it's very, very unlikely that something like this would happen. Um, Even taking into account the fact that the that the detector is kind of always sitting there listening. So you have long periods of time over which you could yeah. see fluctuations like this, even taking all of that into account. It's very yeah. unlikely that you would okay. get this from random uh, sources. So in this moment, their detector goes nuts, says like, hey, nine hits in 10 seconds. And in this particular moment, unbeknownst to them, there is a little shockwave of light not a shockwave. That sounds really dramatic. It's a supernova, I guess. But there's the light from the supernova that they would ideally like to observe to watch this actually happen, uh, hurtling towards them at the speed of light. Uh, but they've got a little... The, the the hand has been tipped, I guess, because the neutrinos got there a little bit before. And so I guess they think, like, what could cause this neutrino burst? Maybe it's a supernova? Like, let's point our telescopes at the most likely candidate stars? Yeah, well, I think they knew right away that it was, uh, you know, a very strong candidate for a supernova. I don't know how easy it is for these detectors to know where the signal came from, especially with just one detector. It's like hard to do the direction and the pointing on that. But I think... I don't know. If you have several different types of detectors, um, it's possible that maybe you detected in a few different places on Earth at the same time yeah. and you could do some triangulation. Um, so I don't know the details maybe. about like, let's point our telescopes somewhere, but yeah, you got I, the right so, idea. Yeah, I, I actually, I read a little bit about this before and triangulation would be pretty hard because the events are so rare. So you wouldn't know exactly when the neutrino burst started, but you could definitely say like, oh, well, we know that these stars are really clear candidates for a supernova. So maybe we'll divide up our telescopes and point them out. Um, maybe, although there's so many stars that I don't know how much that... I don't know that we have like a list of the ones that we expect to supernova in the next 10 years. But, you know, in practice, there are lots of telescopes that are scanning the sky all the time. So once the light shows up, I don't know, the cat's out of the bag. But yeah, you got this kind of early signal from the neutrinos that Mm -hmm. something interesting was about to show up. It was the biggest supernova since 1604. Fun fact. It's kind of funny. I just put these numbers into my little Poisson calculator. What's the probability of this thing happening? Uh, Average rate of success is 0.77. 
the Poisson random variable is nine, what's the probability that this happens? And it's like zero. And that's because yeah, it doesn't have enough significant figures to tell you how rare this is. It's really, really so rare. Funny. Okay, so I just I just looked it up. I didn't find anything about whether we can triangulate, but um, there are apparently seven neutrino detectors uh, who are members of the supernova early warning system, which is just a network of detectors, and the detectors send their reports of possible supernova to a computer. Uh, at the Brookhaven National Lab. And if the computer identifies signals from two detectors within 10 seconds, then it sends a supernova alert to observatories all around the world uh, to study the supernova. Ah, there we go. How does it know? Anyway. Press on statistics, man. Okay, are you ready for another one? Oh, that's right. That was, so that was... That was the, a thing that really was happened. studying a thing that happened. But yeah. I'm really... I'm curious about the second one. Okay, the second one, this is just one of my favorite novelty stories about Poisson distributed things. We've known about the Poisson distribution for quite a while. Um, folks have been using it to calculate the probability of all kinds of things happening. And so over 100 years ago, there was a mathematician who was working for the Prussian army. So this was back when, before the modern German state existed and it was still Prussia. And so Prussia had a big army that was constantly fighting with its neighbors. So there was this guy who was working for the army. I'm going to say his name wrong. Something like Bortkovich. Almost Bork, certainly. Bork, let's, let's say that's how you say it. Um, right. And my apologies if I'm saying that wrong. Anyway, he is working for the army and they have this, you know, not a huge issue, but they have an issue in the army where they have horses that will pull their cannons. And that's how they get cannons to and from battlefields. And the thing about horses is that sometimes they get scared or they get a little bit frisky. Somebody is standing in the wrong place and they kick and there's somebody who gets kicked. And if it's bad enough, then you can actually die from a bad horse kick. Oh, no. And this is something that's quite rare, but because you have to be just like wrong place, wrong time. But since there's thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers who are in the army, and then the army is hanging around, by hanging around yeah. for decades, <laughs> then, you know, sometimes somebody's going to get unlucky and they're going to get kicked in the head by a horse and they're going to die. And uh, usually it's going to be that's not going to be a very common thing. But you could imagine that if there's, say, a poorly run division within the army or something like that, something's something has, has slipped and the horses start to kick more often or they're kicking more often in a particular location or group of soldiers, uh, mm -hmm. then you could figure out like, hey, we, this is usually a pretty rare occurrence, but if we start to see it, a certain number of times above some threshold, then maybe it's, that's our sign that something weird is going on. Or maybe it's just bad luck and it's, uh, right. you know, the statistics of the situation. So anyway, this was the problem that uh, our hero Borkovich was trying to, <laughs> was trying to figure out was he had all this data about soldiers dying from horse kicks. So he, he goes online and, and types so he goes online the... and he types it into <laughs> 
the Poisson distribution calculator. <laughs> and so he, he measures, you know, what's the average rate of people dying of horse kicks measured over very long periods of time. And then you can slice it into smaller units of time or um, amounts of pieces of the army or something like that to figure out if there are little local hotspots that are inconsistent with the overall Poisson distribution that you have here. So as an example, uh, you know, usually there's actually nobody who dies because uh, it's pretty rare. Um, but one corps had four people who died in one year. So that was a particularly unlucky group. But yeah. he, you know, calculates how many different core years you have in the entire data set. Um, and what's the statistic or what's the probability that with that many samples that you've taken, that you have a, a core that has four or more horse kick deaths in a year. And it yeah. turns out, you know, it's, it's actually pretty likely that you see that in the data set that he collected. Huh. And so there was, you know, I told you kind of at the outset, there's didn't really bury the lead on this one, but there was nothing there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but you could imagine if you were uh, the guy who's in charge of that army corps, you're feeling a little bit better because uh, you can make yeah. a pretty credible argument that you're not doing anything wrong. You just got kind <laughs> of unlucky. Yeah. Or more to the point, your wow. soldiers got unlucky. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just think that's a that's a fun novelty story about the Poisson distribution because I don't know, it's not really a problem that we have anymore. People dying of horse kicks to the head from yeah pulling cannons. I mean, but that that feels like get like getting unlucky and getting struck by lightning or something like that. Like, but a, a horse kick to the head sounds like a not fun. Actually, maybe it would be a good way to go. It's fast. Compared to, yeah, probably some of the alternatives in the Prussian army. In the army, army yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah, so anyway, World Cup, soccer games, bus arrivals, neutrinos, horse kicks. We didn't even really talk about the spatial characteristics, but most of these are dealing with time, but it translates into, into space quite well. Uh, like how many, how many squirrels are in the park in a given morning or something like that. Anyway... Could one say how many fish are in a pond? Um, not in a pond, but in, in an area. You could I'm, say I'm how just... many, yeah, how many fish are in a, well, no, you couldn't because fish tend to travel together. So where you see one, yeah. if you have schooling fish, where you see one, you see a whole bunch. But yeah, if you were to think of some kind of fish that, I'm sure there are certain fish that don't swim together. Like, I don't know, sh sharks or something. I don't know how many sharks per unit volume of water maybe that would be puss on yeah, distributed i've been i've been trying to connect it back in my head for a while i haven't come up with anything but we do have some decent listenership and i'm hoping that if somebody has a way to connect the puss on distribution to fish uh that they will write to us Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.